Coming to you live from the Chamber of Hunter Studios, this is Haunting You. I'm your host, Keone Hutton. <laughs> and I'm your co-host for the day, Leslie Reed. That's right! Of course, we are continuing to miss John, and as you can tell, I'm really missing him because I'm starting to do funny voices as I'm doing the intro, so things are getting bad. John, uh, we need you. We need you back. No guilt, but we need you. (laughs) Oh, happy June, everyone. Uh, No, I take it back. Happy May, everyone. Happy Mother's Day had just passed, and uh, to all our haunt mothers and real mothers and mothers who have put up with all kinds of craziness uh, in their (laughs) Halloween-obsessed children, we greatly appreciate all of you. (laughs) Thank you for supporting us. Uh, we could not do what we do. We could not do what we love without your love and support. So to all the mothers out there, whether you're a haunt mother or a real mother, we appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, how dead are your boys for rearranging the water flowers? Oh, it's or getting, it's getting bad. Them? It's getting bad. Like, so my kids are just, well, my kids have been walking on thin ice for a while now. Uh, I think, <laughs> you know, and we've all just been trapped in the house together for too long. Yeah. I'm at least able to go to work once in a while, but uh, Ashley's here with both the kids who are uh, homeschooling, and they are exhausted. They're over it. They're, they're, they are over it, exactly. So uh, most recently, they were in the shower playing instead of showering and dumping all of Ashley's really expensive uh, soap or shampoo and whatever, uh, just dumping it out and drawing pictures on the glass, and it's all running down the drain. So we added it up, and now they owe us a hundred dollars in labor. Easily. Yeah. So fifty dollars each, and uh, they're they're working their butts off, and I'm enjoying it because I'm getting stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't believe in yeah. punishments that don't. Uh, bring some kind teach, of value. T- teach lessons and, and provide value for the house. That's right. And hopefully give them some idea of the value of the <laughs> they're pouring down the drain. Anyway. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, so. Oh, that's a pricey one. We're exhausted, is what I'm saying. If anybody wants uh, to adopt a five and a seven year old for a while, contact <laughs> me. I'm taking offers. <laughs> I mean, I have a massive amount of weeds in the backyard that Ooh. I'm happy to have them come and fight the bindweed with me. Yeah, that's the other half. If anybody has jobs that need to be done in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, let me know. <laughs> I have cheap labor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Anyway, we are very excited to be getting back to two podcasts a month, or at least that's where I hope we will end up going, because we've got a whole bunch of stuff lined up for the next few weeks. Today, uh, we are podcasting, normal podcast. We'll talk a little bit about uh, build, how we're building Sanguine Creek Estates. Then June 1st, we have a very special guest coming on. Which one? We have so many that we want. Linnell Freeman will be coming on to talk about the Texas Hunters Convention and all the exciting stuff that's going to be happening there. Ooh, very nice. We have our very first vendor spotlight coming up here on uh, May 27th uh, at the Fear Expo. Go Definitely go to and into the Fear Expo at, uh, I think it's 8 o'clock at night, Eastern Time on the Fear Expo website, and you'll get to see us make a fool of ourselves live, as opposed to making a fool of ourselves after I have carefully edited it. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to be an interesting experience. 
<laughs> there will be much tomfoolery, indeed. I'm not going to reveal yet who we will be interviewing, but it is a very exciting haunt vendor that has some really cool products coming up. So tune in. Uh, and if you aren't able to tune in live, we will be uh, pushing it out via our normal podcast channels. You'll be able to catch it that way as well. Do 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 we know who we're interviewing? We do. Did you do not read think... the the messages? I, like... It pops up, and then I forget <laughs> to check it. Yeah, I'll I'll send that out to you guys, so okay. we, you can do some research beforehand. Yeah, that that that's that'll definitely help me not look like a total fool. Me too. Research, it's a good thing. Exactly. Oh, and one more thing, we are going to be featured on one of the upcoming episodes of the Big Scary Show as well. We got the official invite that we are recording on Monday. So yes, they're well, very excited to be on the Big Scary Show with uh, a whole bunch of other haunt podcasters. So they're bringing in the guys from Haunt Weekly, they're bringing in the guys from Haunt Scene, they're bringing in us from Haunting You, and it is going to be a really fun time. So go check out Big Scary Show on Facebook, on Twitter, etc., and you will see uh, when we are on their roundtable of podcasters. Awesome. That's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. So... Fear Expo, Big Scary Show, plus some really cool guests. It's going to be a really exciting few weeks. Definitely go to our Podbean or iHeart or Apple Podcasts or whatever and subscribe to the podcast so you can keep up with all of the exciting stuff that is going to be happening over the next several weeks. But because all of that cool stuff is happening and we're still trying to build a haunt for this year, I'm really starting to feel the pressure, and so we're <laughs> we're starting to get things moving. Yes. In our last episode, we took the time and took the storyline that we had already built up for Sanguine Creek Estates, and we applied it to our layout. We envisioned what the rooms would look like, how they would fit together a little bit, what kind of scares would go inside, which allowed us to then take that layout and go to our and go to to the paper and start mapping it out in the space that we have. I just like right before recording this posted a picture of our proposed layout and i just have to say holy this is the most ambitious plan that we have put together to date it encompasses 2258 square feet just in like the where we're going to build not even counting uh the hill where we're going to put the graveyard and our big bad creature is going to chase people out of the graveyard like this is going to be over an over 3,000 square foot haunt. That's bigger than my freaking house. That's bigger than any of our freaking houses. Combined. Uh, no, I wouldn't say combined. Include the uh, crypt? If we include the crypt, you know what? It might be bigger than our three houses combined. Like... <laughs> uh, uh, ah! he, he, he's indicating mind blown, which it pretty much is because... <laughs> This is very much, I mean, we were, if you go back to some of our older podcasts, when we first were starting to kind of line out our plan for the podcast and the haunt and really what we were looking at, we weren't supposed to get here until year, between year three at the earliest, most likely year five. Yes. Yeah. Our intent two years ago was to build micro haunts every year of like four or five rooms to which would ultimately get put together into the ultimate the penultimate storyline we're jumping ahead a little bit because well we're not covid um crushed (laughs) us last year like spiritually crushed us and but it gave us an extra year to prep and so 
I, despite how ambitious this plan is, I think it might actually be achievable. Yeah. So go check out our Facebook page. Take a look at the uh, the layout that I have posted up there. Give us your thoughts. Do you think it's achievable? I guess why we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> either way, either way, it's going to be really exciting and really fun. Follow along with us as we try to put this whole thing together. So the we got into a really good discussion in our last episode about the final scare. I highly recommend you go back and listen to it because I don't want to cover everything. But in short, we want to bring in the big bad creature that has been in not infecting, festering. Inhabiting. Yeah, I guess inhabiting, inhabiting the uh, the Sanguine Creek area where uh, where this building was ultimately built. Back in the 1600s, it uh, wiped out a small settlement. It inhabited the, or it infected the minds of the British soldiers during the Revolutionary War, who were then torturing their uh, their captives, and it stole away the captives who were deep down in the bowels of the ship. Essentially, it's it's I'm been there the as um, a smallpox. That's right, the smallpox ward. Um, it infected the minds of the doctors who were treating the smallpox patients and, and then treating uh, patients at the asylum later. So this this creature has been kind of in the background of all of our sto- all of the stories that we uh, we told last year, building up the background of Sanguine Creek and the Sanguine Creek Estate. So what we want to do today is really dive into what this creature is, what motivates it, why is it causing all of this death and destruction, really flush out the character itself to help us as we are putting together its costume and then ultimately incorporating it into like our marketing scheme and trying to draw people in with the story of this creature essentially kind of you know as you as you start to create these monsters and what we hope is going to be an iconic character for sanguine creek estates there's really kind of a number of things that you you want to think about and more importantly the the biggest thing is really what do you want to convey about this monster to the people who are going through the haunt because you don't have a lot of time to do that you can set up all this backstory you can set up all of these images and thoughts that are going to get stuck in your brain but when it comes to the monster reveal and that impact moment you have a second, maybe two, to get all of that across and hope that it comes across clearly. Yes. So having a character and a history and kind of that psychology of not just your character, but what you want your character to make people feel is crucial. And the more defined that you have it, the quicker you'll be able to convey it because you'll know where to put your focus you like with dracula you know that that's going to be that billowing cape that pale face and those fangs you you know what to convey there you do a frankenstein monster you know you've got to have something that's oversized the movement has to be awkward and you want to have something that's a little bit mechanic a little bit kind of just offset so you, you take these classic monsters and the movement 
and that visual image that they convey needs to be defined from the very, very beginning. Exactly. While we were at Fear Expo, we had the opportunity to take a class with Mr. David D. Jones. If you listen to our Fear Expo recap, this is the one that really blew our minds. He spent an hour talking about the psychology of fear and the psychology of monsters and what makes them a monster. And we took a lot away from his talk that we want to use as we are developing this character. Yes. And again, you know, there's so many good monsters out there. There's also a lot of really, really terrible monsters out there. <laughs> We're just like, okay, cool. You're a face-eating monster. That's nice. Like, there's nothing much really to it. I think probably one of the best shows that I can think of that really conveys the <laughs> the diversity of good monsters and bad monsters, um, because they have so many of both, has got to be Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. How come? You've got good monsters that, like, the you know, classic examples are going to be the Daleks and the Cybermen. Like, even as cheesy and corny as those creatures are when you watch them, and yeah, they're absolutely cheesy and corny, they're instantly recognizable. There's a psychology to them that you understand in terms of what they're looking for. And there's a piece to them that is so recognizable that, you know, you really, you, yeah, they're cheesy, yeah, they're corny, but they've endured for over 50 years for a reason. Um, another really, really great one, one that I think just encapsulates uh, a terrifyingly well-done monster has got to be the weeping. You know, this, this, this statue that's beautiful when you look at it, but you blink and it turns into this horrifying monster that sucks out your energy and sends you back to the past. And there's no coming back from that. Just that, that, you know, truly terrifying concept. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to play throughout this episode, I'm going to play a couple of clips from um, David Jones talk, and then we will take that, um, take what he's talking about and starting building it off of our monster. Before before I do that though, I think we want I want to talk about like what is our monster, and I think what we've settled on is that it is some incarnation of the Wendigo. Yes. What is a Wendigo? I don't know about anyone else, but this was not a monster I was particularly familiar with. But as I was doing some research. Do you recognize this, Les? Uh-huh. I realized that I had come across it in my childhood. Yes. And never really made the connection until I was researching for this haunt. I'm sure a number of you, particularly if you're around our age, had, have, read this book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, <laughs> when you were a kid. Ah, uh, camping. Summer camp. Somebody always brought it. And there's always at least one girl who was terrified, and then we were never allowed to read from it again. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> this was one of my favorite books growing up because it is, it's creepy. Like, 
the stories in it, I mean, it has such a wide variety of stories from funny uh, to scary and songs and poems. And it is a collection of folklore retold by Alvin Schwartz. And the images uh, by Stephen Gamel. Those are the ones that get me. Like, I can do the stories, but those images. Fantastic. Like, pencil. It looks like pencil images, but they are just so unnerving i love them like i had a lot of fun with it i read a story out of this to my boys today and it was one of those out of the the humorous uh-huh. scary stories at the end i read them the one called the attic uh, about a guy and his dog who live out in the middle of the woods the dog disappears uh, he can't find it for several days and then he hears a noise in the attic and he goes walking up to the attic and as I'm telling the story, my voice is getting quieter and quieter, and my boys unco- subconsciously they don't realize they're coming closer uh-huh. and closer to so that they can keep hearing. And when the guy goes to open the door, he screams, and so I just let out a scream, and the boys both fall over backwards, and they're like, "What? What? Why did he scream?" And I'm like, "Well, you'd scream too if you stepped on a nail." <laughs> <laughs> and that, like, that's the actual story. Uh, it says it says that in the book, uh, but. It, like it's stuff like that it uh it creates this fear but it's a fun fear yeah not not all of the stories it's a like that type of well that type of story and and they do have them in there it's that subversion of expectation yeah yeah it it totally is but it's it's back to uh what david jones was talking about about fear in fact let me play you a clip let me play it right now the rule of comedy is three the rule of horror is two either and we see that both in the relationship between monster and victim as well as every dyad you see going through a haunt when people post their shock camera uh, and they use all their advertisement it is always the same picture one person is in a variation of the heinzman trophy screaming ah and the person next to them is always doing the same thing their head is back and they're laughing they are, it, and laughter is actually an important technique. Laughter is the way, the fastest way we can convey to another primate that they're safe. One person's laughing, one person's screaming. The sound of a haunt is laughter. You want to encourage that because that means your people are processing. It always comes down to two people. Yeah, so I found this. I don't recognize it. It's Pusung uh, Ling, or translations of Qing Dynasty tales, and it's called Strange Tales from a Chinese Studio. Okay. Conjure up a world in which nothing is as it seems, stretching the boundaries of human experience in ways that both enlighten and entertain. So, a ghostly city appears out of nowhere, uh, a heartless daughter-in-law is turned into a pig, some tales are exquisite miniatures depicting bizarre creatures, enchanted objects, and haunted temples. Others are longer narratives of powerfully drawn characters and subtle psychological nuances. (laughs) They are regarded as uh, one of the pinnacles of Chinese fiction in classical language. So this is in translation. This is one of my textbooks. Uh But, you know, you've got here's one story. It's just a quick little page. I won't read the whole thing, but it's called A Fatal Joke. It's a a story about a, a man who almost had his head cut off, but not quite. And it healed enough. <laughs> Nearly headless Nick. <laughs> very, very much so. Um, killed by bandits during one of their raids. When the bandits had gone and the family came to recover the corpse for burial, they, det- they detected the faintest trace of breathing, and on closer examination saw that the man's windpipe was not quite severed. 
A finger's breadth remained, so they carried him home, supporting the head carefully, and after a day and a night he began to make a moaning noise. They fed him minute quantities of food with a spoon and chopsticks, and after six months he was fully recovered. Ten years later he was sitting talking with two or three of his friends, when one of them cracked a hilarious joke and they all burst out laughing. He was rocking backwards and forwards in a fit of hysterical laughter when suddenly the old sword wound burst open and his head fell to the ground in a pool of blood. His <laughs> friends examined him, and this time he was well and truly dead. His father decided to bring charges against the man who had told the joke. But the joker's friends collected some money together and succeeded in buying him off. The father buried his son and dropped the charges. <laughs> That's amazing. I, out of all the story, there are some in here that are just so bizarre. Sure, sure. And creepy. And there's others that are just kind of strange and a little silly. But, you know, again, we, we've talked before about how horror is not just something that is part of Western culture or American culture. These types of stories, these are, you know, these, these folk tales... You, you you actually if you go through and read all the stories in here and again these are this is just a collection of everything he wrote um, there are some that just have you, know, you there's parallels to you know Western monsters and Western stories um, so there's a kind of a universality mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to monsters and to horror yeah and David talks a little bit about that in his talk as well how um, for thousands of years, every culture on Earth in some way has told stories about death, has celebrated death, has has found ways to cope with this universal experience that we all must face at one time or another. And in many cases, I think the monsters that, uh, that grow out of these stories are ways of humans coping with deaths they can't understand we create these stories to share information to share fears and in a lot of ways especially you know the the book that you're the you know scary stories these are ways to start introducing children to these concepts Mm -hmm. and to these Mm -hmm. ideas and giving them a framework for managing their own feelings about something that you can't pin down very well especially when you're a child yeah, and I think the Wendigo is a just absolutely elegant example of this. It is a creature that has appeared in the stories of hundreds of Native American tribes throughout most of Canada, the northeast of uh, of the United States, down to even where we are in Maryland, Virginia. The tribes that lived in these areas all had a very similar creature with similar traits, but it went by a few different names. Windigo, Wittigo, Wittico, Weetigo, but they all roughly translate to the evil spirit that devours mankind. So I did some digging on a website called legendsofamerica.com, and uh, it has a pretty good backstory of uh, where Wendigos came from. And I want to just read a little bit from their article. In the north woods of Minnesota, the forests of the Great Lake region and the central regions of Canada is said to live a malevolent being called a Wendigo. 
This creature may appear as a monster with some characteristics of a human, or as a spirit who has possessed a human being and made them become monstrous. It is historically associated with cannibalism, murder, insatiable greed, and the cultural taboos against such behaviors. Although descriptions can vary somewhat, common to all these cultures is the view that the Wendigo is a malevolent, cannibalistic, supernatural being that is strongly associated with the winter, the north, coldness, famine, and starvation. The Ojibwa Native American tribe described it like this. It was a large creature, as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured on into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead. And then the luckless individual became a wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. According to those legends, a wendigo is created whenever a human resorts to cannibalism to survive. Other versions of the legend cite that humans who displayed extreme greed, gluttony, and excess might also be possessed by a wendigo. Thus the myth served as a method of encouraging cooperation and moderation. I think this is the perfect creature to encapsulate everything that has been going wrong at Sanguine Creek throughout its history. We have it in every backstory that we had, or that Leslie wrote for last year, we had an example of... Excess. Excess. The greed for power, the greed for a greed of knowledge, trying to push the bounds of human knowledge to do things that are unnatural, wrong, etc. The dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Which attracted the Wendigo spirit. And then at each of these different locations, at each of the oh, different locations that times. attracted the, the spirit of the Wendigo at each of these different times to each of these different individuals who then became possessed. Yes. Yes. And one of the other things that's so interesting about a number of the Wendigo legends, it's not just a possession. It's a full transition you become the creature. There is no redemption arc mm -hmm. for these monsters. Mm -hmm. and um, there, there is no coming back from it. That is, that's a point that David makes uh, repeatedly in his class. A, a haunt is a dramatic tragedy. A thing has happened that cannot be undone, and your monster, in order to remain a monster, has to be trapped in their situation if they ever find a way out of their situation uh, the example he used was like um king kong king kong is a monster because it is alone it's alone which makes it angry which makes it lash out at the world around it if king kong were was born in a community of other gigantic gorillas he would never have been a monster he would be perfectly happy um, or another example dracula Dracula is a monster because he is pining for his lost love, and he is constantly seeking that love. If he ever were to find a new woman, fall in love with her, he would become a suburban house husband, husband. and 
he would no longer <laughs> be a monster. I just need a spell of Dracula <laughs> as a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Need <laughs> that sitcom now, please. I know, I know. That, well, I mean, uh, Hotel Transylvania is that sitcom. Drac! Ready to throw down? No, no, I just came closer to, to hear you better. Oh, come on, just give it a try. All right, maybe just a little. So listen, all you singers from here to Beijing, you better crack the box string, get ready to clean. Because the clock was money, you begin to change next to a thing, Cuba's arrows, a little beast. <laughs> That's true. That's true, it absolutely is. <laughs> oh. But yeah, so... David says like this. Monsters are always tragic. The monster is always the victim. The monster is the one who's stuck. The monster is the one who can't move on, who can't get out of the predicament they're in. We identify with the monster. That's why we love monster movies when we're little kids. The monster is the victim who is in an act of suffering and they are trying to heal themselves and it's their inability to do so that makes them monstrous. Dracula is caught in a loop where he's pining for the love of a girl who can never come back. She's dead. Frankenstein is the anger of a child who was failed or not loved by their parent with the rage, the hurt. It's also a story of hubris. They're trying to fix the thing that they don't have but because of their circumstances that usually came about without their control, their rationale, their reasoning, and their approach to trying to fix themselves is the thing that continues to make them monstrous. And with that, I think this is an excellent time to take a break, so we will be right back. this to our Wendigo. How is our Wendigo trapped in their circumstance and constantly unable to escape it? So, the creation of the Wendigo is obviously through excess or through cannibalism. Greed. But the tr- and greed. And just this, this need, need for things. But the tragedy is there is no escape. And they're left with this insatiability. So there is no amount of anything that is going to make them full. Yes, yes. And every depiction of the Wendigo shows this emaciated creature because it can never satisfy its hunger. I mean, no matter how much it eats, no matter how, it doesn't matter what it does, it is always going to be hungry. It is always going to be starving. This is where a lot of the the cannibalism tropes in their origin story came in, because, you know, this is the, the idea that cannibalism was the ultimate stepping out of the norms of society. It's the ultimate betrayal of your humanity in an effort to survive. Right, right. You know, the, these, this, the settler stories of, you know, these, these people, you know, again, we, we've talked about, you know, our, our own <laughs> Alfred Becker. <Colorado> <laughs> <laughs> Alfred Becker. Um, you know, this, this is the, there's very, very few social and cultural taboos that are greater 
than cannibalism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if you think, you know, okay, maybe it's just one monster and he lives forever because that is also part of the history or whether, you know, we keep adding these monsters in each of these time in each of these eras where there's a new one because somebody else became and was turned into a Wendigo because of their behavior, because of their actions, because whatever they did took them so far outside the human norm and outside of their society and their culture that there is no going back. I I think that is what really fits our story. Mm -hmm. It's not a single creature that has been haunting, but the I don't know, the spirit of a Wendigo has always been in the area. And, and every time someone who lives here at Sanguine uh, violates societal norms by uh, either through greed or cannibalism or abuse, um, abuse uh, of their power, violence, violence. You know, anything that pushes, pushes through that excess, brings the Wendigo out, and that person then becomes a Wendigo. So, is our Wendigo the doctor? Well, we're running an asylum. We are. He wants to help. He's trying to help. He's trying to create life. In doing so, he's using patients, many of whom at this time would have been committed for problems with excess. So I think that there's some ways that we could play with this where it's the spirit of the Wendigo takes different people at different times and we could absolutely have it be the doctor. Um, Well, I'm just thinking like how killer a story would that be? They guess meet the doctor at the beginning. He lets them in mm -hmm. while they're in. He transforms and then he's the one who chases them out. How's that? How's that for a super cool. circle? <laughs> I think our hardest, our the hardest thing we'd have to do is convey that in a second and a half. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the hardest thing to do is yep. making it clear that the doctor is the monster or becomes the monster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is morphing. It's not patient zero who's the monster. It's the doctor who's the monster. Mm -hmm. And I think, yes. Frankenstein always was the monster. (laughs) And I will fight anybody on that one. I saw a great meme that was like a clip (laughs) of a Reddit post that was like, knowledge is knowing Frankenstein was the monster. Frankenstein was the monster. Wisdom is knowing Frankenstein was the doctor. Mm-hmm. And then something else was knowing that Frankenstein was actually the monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's one of those three-tier brain of. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen yeah. a number of iterations on that. But yeah, I think I think what did we just say? Because that was genius. <laughs> um. So... How do we convey that the doctor becomes the monster through the course of the haunt, knowing that we have a split second? To make that clear. We have to do it. Well, I think the costuming is going to be an essential part of that Mm -hmm. because the visual communication is the first thing they're going to see. So if we can 
tailor the costume to the doctor's costume as well Mm -hmm. so that they have something really obvious. And like the first thing that comes to mind is like um, some sort of symbol on his lapel. And then the monster is wearing a tattered version of that, but it has that same symbol, you know, something along those lines, but it has to be obvious. Which I is hard. think, yeah, I think actually one way we can do it, since we know we've got a number of different Wendigo monsters, you know, over the kind of the history of Sanguine Creek Estates, mm-hmm. is finding, using different horns and antlers to convey the different Wendigos. So the doctor needs to have an emblem as part of his crest because remember we've done we've done the crests mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and those horns need to be designed in a certain way and then that's the horns that he wears Ooh. and then if we were to ever go back and do okay say the british and the revolutionary war the division that's in charge of the prison needs to have a different set of horns or antler heraldry as emblematic of their uniform. Mm-hmm. And then the, that Wendigo has that set of has horns. Has that set of horns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can we can do something with that. Putting um, the Doctor's family crest periodically throughout. Um, I've got one hallway, one really long hallway, where I intend to have a bunch of, like, pictures of mm-hmm. the doctor's family one will be like the melting face portrait from special illusions mm-hmm. um, on each one of those we have the crest the family crest with their name underneath yeah and it's got to have the antler horns that we're using right for right. the costume yes that um, that will be a good that will be that's a good start so that kind of gives it a you know who else would have like his notebook that needs to be engraved on the cover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a pin in his lapel. It's his family yes. crest again. We just keep we keep bringing back the family crest every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is the logo of Sanguine Creek Estates Sanguine as States. well. So it's going to be all over our advertising and our branding. Everyone it's... will see it. Yep. I love it. I freaking love it. And this is where, you know, guys, if, if you're struggling with... How do I come up with this? How do I have somebody sit down to talk it out with you? What have you already put in place that all you need to do is go grab it? Okay, this is what I'm going to use. This works. I can take this and this and I can tie them in together. And this creates this cohesive loop and this cohesive storyline that takes us from here to here, but brings in these different elements. And even if you're looking at like, well, we change up our storyline every year for our haunt that's okay because even you know just listening look we can go back and we can pick any of our four precursor stories we can have the same kind of concept but then the question is who is the person that becomes the wendigo yes yes that becomes the question out of and you know okay you don't meet the doctor you're you know let's let's say we're doing the revolution war maybe you don't meet maybe you think it's the captain because that's the first person you meet when you go on this ship but what it turns out to be is it's not the captain because he's not wearing the pin you're looking for maybe it's the you know the first mate or maybe it's this other person and it turns out that's the person that has just 
gone to excess. It's the bloody cook. It's the bloody cook. Exactly. And that's the person. And then it's like, okay, well, what were they doing that that caused trigger? Yes. Yes. To do that. So then it becomes a question, even if you're changing your plot line, you're changing your storyline, if you have these elements tied in, these are the little Easter eggs. You can go through the haunt and you can have no fracking clue who the monster is or that it's the doctor or anything, and you can still get scared. But if you're somebody who loves to go through and pick out all of these pieces, these are the breadcrumbs that we're building. These are the hidden Easter eggs to and, look for. And, and the these... things that would hopefully draw people back year after year yes! to see if they can't find them. That's exactly what I was going to say. These are the breadcrumbs that keep your customers coming back year after year. So back to our Wendigo. David Jones lists four things that monsters have to have to be convincing. Number one, they have to be true. Number two, they have to live in the guest psyche. Number three... They need to have rapport or connect with the guest. We're kind of doing that automatically because we're throwing the guest in the middle of where he's going to be. And then four, they should create a question and not an answer. This last one, I think, is the biggest struggle. Your brain has two major parts that you're going to be dealing with or that you're dealing with when you go through a haunt. Your amygdala and your cortex. The cortex is logical. The cortex is thinking. The cortex is taking in all the information from around you, processing it, and trying to make sense of it. The amygdala is pure instinct. It's your id. It's the id, exactly. It is the thing that is doing the immediate, this is a threat, this is not a threat. Fight or flight. And I am it, running away, or I am not. Or Exactly. And it's doing it seconds before the cortex even realizes anything is going on. So when you are developing your story, when you're developing your scenes, you need to be talking to both the amygdala and the cortex. But what's interesting about um, the way our brains work is when we are in a very high-stress situation our brain will be constantly dumping short-term memory to make room for all of the additional information coming in um, to help us survive. So every about 15 seconds, our brain is dumping everything in the short-term memory to make room for all of the new information it needs to process to see if there are more threats. When you're walking through a haunt, because you're dumping so fast, chances are you are not going to remember any of the creatures that you see unless something causes it to stay there in your mind and david jones uses this last thing create a question to implant the your monster in your guest's mind if it leaves a question that they cannot answer they are going to be walking away from your haunt asking that question over and over again and you know and part of the question is what did i miss how did I escape? You know, how could I have avoided? You start bringing in, you know, monsters need to create a question. You know, that question is not necessarily, a, oh, why are they a monster? Do I feel bad for them? Or in, you know, internet land, do I want to bone that monster? Because internets are weird. But also... <laughs> Damn you, Twilight. Internet is weird. Fucking <sighs> Twilight. <sighs> Sparkly vampires. Not a thing. Seriously, guys. Drop it. But monsters need to create a question. You have, you want these people to sit there and be wondering, not just why are they a monster, but you know how did they become a monster? What type of monster are they? 
And you also want them going back through your haunt and, and looking for those hints and those clues. Mm-hmm. And that's where those, you know, those graphic image lines come in as so important because those are things that get dumped in those short-term memory dumps, but they're also some of the easiest to recall because those are the things that hit that primal id to come back quicker because you your brain wants to file those away as if I see this again, I'm running like a bat out of hell. Exactly. If I see this again, I've already identified this as a threat. I don't need to process anymore. I'm out. That's where we want to get to. Yeah. In our guest minds. So what is our unanswerable question? What is, what are we leaving the guests wondering? I know I don't have an answer yet either. I don't either. I I can think of a whole bunch of things and I could probably bullshit my way through them. But really for this, I think the question here, I mean, we know that there's no redemption, but you look at all these classic monsters, you can see that there's a redemption. So I think the question here I would want to leave them with is what would the redemption arc, can there be a redemption arc? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, he's a great question. Now, let me let me jump forward a little bit to I'm bringing David in. If I was to do Dracula in a haunt, I would get a composite of all the people in college and high school, all the females, and composite their image and have that as the oil painting behind him. So when Dracula starts to do whatever, suddenly one of the females in that group most likely have elements that went into the painting that's behind them. So that suddenly Dracula turns and stops and points to a woman and says, you. Oh, I have loved you without, and goes into a monologue, you know, those summers in Bucharest. Suddenly you've created a question and a relationship to where the guest can't figure out why this monster knows them. Why is this being talked to? We can do this with plants where many very clever haunters have intel being collected on the guests, where intel uh, guests are constantly broadcasting their fears. Good things it wasn't spiders. Boy, I sure feel bad we left the kids at home. And then the next scene, somebody's radioed up to them. And one of the monsters is saying, John, you need to go home. There's fire. Your, your, your children are burning. John, your children are burning. Why are you here? You've gotten into their head and they will never know. You will now live forever in that guest's mind. You will never escape. You have defined what that monster is and your character is the one that will be played over and over again. Or, you know, in multiple variations. So in, this, so in our case, mm-hmm. our situation, our predicament is that... Um, they became too greedy. They became too powerful. They violated the cultural norms of... Um, he became too desperate to achieve something that had no business being achieved. Yes, yes. And that beca- then that drove him to become the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Why is the Wendigo killing? Because it is trying to fulfill... It's trying to satiate its hunger. See, and this is where I come back to when you look at this, it's, it's hunger is for life. Is it hunger for life or is it hunger for life that it can control? If it's hunger for life it can control, its goal is to kill and reanimate. Keep, keep, keep going with that thought. I think you're onto something. And so I think that 
part of the tragedy for this particular iteration of the Wendigo is that its descent into greed was based on a genuine belief that it was helping. Right. Okay. And therefore the question of it is with the change in intent, despite the obvious outcomes and consequences, is the intent enough to give it a chance for redemption? I don't think there can be a redemption. I don't think there can either, but it's it's one of those where, you know, the, the, the tragedy of, of... I'm trying to think of a good story and I can't right now. Um, it, it, it's it's kind of this, this concept of the tragedy of good intentions. The road to hell and all that. Mm, yes, we wonder what it's paved with. I think I'll have some more once I finish watching The Good Place again. <laughs> ah, the places we get inspiration. Shell and I are doing a rewatch. It's been great. Nice. So I think it's either that or I think we can still consider going back to... I don't really want to pull the evil twin card. No, We're still I don't. going back. No, hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. We go back to the doctor as a victim of the monster, not in the way that he becomes the monster, but that one of his patients becomes the monster. And he becomes the first victim of the Wendigo. And we can have it as the patient is, you know, one of the big reasons that he, you know, believed so much in what he's doing is because he lost a family member. I think that was one of my original aspects of his character was that initial loss and the character and then the family member that he brought back is actually the one that becomes the wendigo i don't yeah i don't i don't love either i really like the doctor becomes the monster the doctor becomes the monster because of his greed and lust for power and tampering with things that he shouldn't be and see, I don't, when I look at him, I really do, I, I don't, when I wrote him, and I'm still working on it, I don't have him necessarily, I mean, there's a God complex there, but it's, again, it's that, the, that good intentions, because I want, I mean, we, I want him to be that sympathetic, I'm trying to fix the history of this place, and I, so we need to find another, another way, another way to kind of bring in those trigger monster triggers for him that's not that fit wendigo creation myths but not in a straightforward fashion well if we make it the patient instead maybe the patient maybe we make this simpler the uh, the doctor was working on his patients we know he locked them up in the basement mm-hmm. maybe left them to die and the only way that Patient Zero was able to survive was by resorting to cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Keep going. And then through... It started small. They're just uh, eating pieces of uh, other prisoners who were trapped down there. And then as it continued, the hunger continued to grow. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't it wasn't able from... to... Let's try it went from survival, and survival to survival to I need a this. need. Yeah, and I think with how we've set this up, I do believe that there's a place for there to be 
you know, obviously multiple monsters. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the Doctor is a monster in some way. In his own way, sure. Um, but he's not the monster. He's not I'm not sure he's entirely monster. right. Maybe not in this iteration. Yeah. I don't know, I think this is something that we need to kind of think on, and this might be one where we try and get John on, um, even if it's not for the podcast, but just to do a... A brainstorming, a brainstorming session. session. Cause I think you and I are kind of getting caught up in loops right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm debating where to end, how to end this. Do we end this as an episode, or do we pause the recording, drag John in, and then pick up and finish the episode with John on? I think this is one that I think we can do this as a, as a full podcast. Because this is showing that sometimes you get caught in the middle and you don't necessarily come to a nice round conclusion well this, this is why we i mean we keep talking about how we're uh we're bringing people along for the ride live and relatively this, uncut and um this, this is, is, part, this of the is ride. part of the ride exactly so we're a little bit stuck on our main character right here we know we want it to be a wendigo we kind of have a general idea of what we want it to look like we have a pretty good idea of uh, why they're there we have we know why they're building rapport with the guests we know uh, what their motivation is we just aren't sure which of two of our characters would make the better penultimate monster yes yes and i think answering that question will help us find that unanswerable question that we can leave in the guest's mind Mm -hmm. um, so that our Wendigo continues to haunt them even after they leave. Yeah. So I think we have to just call the discussion here and, uh, and move on. But I like your idea. We'll drag John into this listeners. If you have any ideas on how we can get out of our, uh, our do loop. And uh, if you have ideas on ways we can, better flush out the motivations of our monster please reach out to us via our facebook page at facebook.com slash haunting you on our twitter feed at haunting universe one or via instagram at haunting university uh, drop us a line let us know your thoughts help us get out of this do loop that we are stuck in i think we've got two really good ideas and it could really go either way mm-hmm. so it becomes a question of which way is going to give us the most power and how do we close those loops in a way to give us that value and that strength. Agreed. Agreed. So that is where we will leave it for today. We already talked about go check out Fear Expo, fearexpo.com. Go check out the Big Scary Show, facebook.com slash Big Scary Show, so you see when we will be appearing on there. And then and then go check out our uh, our website, hauntingyou.com, see what events are coming up. There are several haunting conventions still in the works for the rest of the uh, rest of the summer, and we are keeping that up to date as best as we can. Any other closing thoughts, Les? No, I think think that really kind of covers it. We've got some good progress. I think we've got some good ideas for not just what we want, want the monster to be, but how that really works into the haunt and our story and the work that we've already put in. Uh, and I really, I think the next step is for us to just kind of come to a conclusion, which we'll be doing over the next couple of 
weeks and months uh, on top of all of the guests and other adventures that we have planned for you guys as we start to build out this excessively ambitious (laughs) full size 100% uh, iteration of Sanguine Creek Estates. Indeed, indeed. So subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you can continue following along with the ride. Let all your friends know. Uh, and if you enjoy what we're doing, drop us a, uh, a five-star review and uh, tell, a little, tell everyone else a little bit about why you enjoy listening as well. And hopefully that will drive more people to, to listen, and hopefully one of them will have an answer that will get us out of our do-loop. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you just have to sit and... And let it let an idea just kind of sit in the back of your head for a little bit. Yep, agreed. So we will do that for uh, for a little while, and in the meantime, all there is much building to be done. So from all of us here at Haunting You, happy haunting, and we will see you next time. Absolutely. Hi, everybody. Haunting You is a production of the Rocky Mountain Home Haunters, LLC. All audio clips and sound effects are used under a Creative Commons attribution or public domain license from Purple Planet Music at www.purple-planet.com or the Sound Bible at soundbible.com. Please see our Facebook page for more information on all the clips used in this episode. Haunting University can be reached via Facebook at www.facebook.com slash haunting you with the letter U or on Twitter using the handle at haunting Univer one that's haunting U-N-I-V-E-R-1. Be sure to check out our new page on Podbean at www.hauntingyou.podbean.com. <laughs>